Let me ask you this. Have you ever tried to justify your behavior before? You ever come up with some good excuses? Some of you, I might ask, how did it go for you? You can ask my family. I've tried to justify myself with some things, and my kids are quick to catch me and say, hey, Dad, you're a Pharisee. Or they didn't call me a Pharisee, but, but uh, I say, hey, wait, you're giving an excuse for something. Um, some of us can twist things to sound really good, that our actions that were bad are okay, and, and we should be given a pass. I don't know, maybe you've listened to children before who try to justify their behavior. You say, why did you hit him? Because he looked at me funny. Or why did you do that? And it's always because the other person, the blame goes on the other person so that we look better. Uh, Today, though, as we look at scripture, Jesus addresses the issue and the problem of trying to justify ourselves. And when you read this, there are some serious words of Christ. It's like last week we were addressing the words of Christ regarding money. This week it's about justifying ourselves and the law and divorce. Uh, next week we'll look at heaven and hell. And so like I said last week, maybe this is your moment. You need a, uh, you're like, this is too uncomfortable for me. I'm heading out. This is your moment to exit. I pray though that you would um, hear the words of Christ this morning. The big idea in Luke chapter 16 is a self-righteous heart twist the law of God to fit a sinful life, which is an abomination before God. Look with me at verse 14. The Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts for what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. The word of God. Again, Father, we ask for a blessing on the reading and the preaching of the word. We have the blessing to open the Bible and to read the words of our Lord God Almighty. And just as we were reading with Jesus' words, they follow a parable that he was uh, teaching to the disciples that were with him. And we find out today in verse 14, the Pharisees were also there listening in. Last week, the parable was about the dishonest manager, the dishonest steward. And Jesus was teaching his disciples about the need to be a good steward of everything God entrusts to you. Specifically, he focused on money. And it was the Pharisees who stood there. It says in verse 14, they begin to sneer or ridicule Jesus for this truth that he is teaching them. Well, this morning we see that Jesus addresses the heart. And in verses 14 through 15, we see that God knows your heart. Now stop and think about that for a minute. The statement that God knows your heart. God knows my heart. God knows anything and everything about us. Everything we think and everything we are about to speak before we even speak it. Because it comes from our heart. And it says God knows our heart. 
And I believe we fall into the same trap many times the Pharisees do of trying to justify our hearts before God. And Jesus says, no way. It's something that we are not to do. Look at verse 14. It says the Pharisees were what? Lovers of what? Of what? Of money. It says they heard all these things that Jesus was teaching. They ridiculed him. Again, Jesus was just teaching that you need to be one who manages and stewards the money or whatever's been entrusted to you well. Here, Luke says the Pharisees were lovers of money. And when you read the gospel accounts, there are a number of times that Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees for their love of money and for their greed. The motivation of their heart is the love of money. 1 Timothy chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says in verse 10, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. You see, the Word of God never says that money is evil, but the love of what? Money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, Jesus could have taken a whole host of other things, different types of pleasures in the world, but he was focused on money, and this is at the root and the heart of the Pharisees, and he addresses them and calls them to account. Look with me at verse 15. You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The Pharisees knew the law of God well. They had it memorized. They knew what the prophets said would come with the Messiah. They knew what we would count as the Old Testament very well and the law of God. And yet they used the law of God to justify their behavior, which Jesus is calling an account with them. You see, the Pharisees, like many people today, believe that the good things that they do, their actions are those that justify them or make them right before God. So this morning, as we look at this word justify or justified, we need to understand what it means here when it says justify yourselves. It means to uh, declare yourself righteous before God. It's, it's you saying to God, I am good because I do this, this and this. Maybe you've heard this statement before with people who will say things like I've done way more good things in my life than bad things. And so I'm doing really good. This is the picture of the heart that tries to justify itself before God Almighty. The Pharisees believed that if they abided by the law and did these things according to God's word, that they would make them right before God. But Jesus says the person who justifies himself is what? What's it say in the text? Is a what before the sight of God? An abomination. Now that's a heavy word. It means a foul thing. It means a detestable thing. That when God sees the heart of a person who is trying to justify themselves of what they do wrong before God, he sees their act as an abomination, as a detestable thing, a foul thing. And you have to then ask, well, why would that be so bad? Why would declaring myself righteous before God be such an abomination, such a grievous thing? Well, number one, 
In Romans chapter 3, verse 10, it says that no one, none is righteous, no, not one. So the first thing is if you try to justify yourself before God, you need to go to the word of God and be told you are not righteous on your own works. There's no way that you can be righteous, even if you had a list. If I asked all of you in this room to sit down and grab a piece of paper, and I asked you, would you write down a list of all the good things you've done in your life? Many of you could rattle off a whole bunch of those things. Not one of those good things, according to what Christ teaches, justifies you or makes you right with God. Therefore, when we try to, and really what we're doing, we're lying to ourselves, we're lying to others, God sees it as an abomination, a detestable, foul thing. So number one, none is righteous. And number two, no one can do anything to make themselves righteous. And so what Jesus is addressing this morning is the sin of self-righteousness. Turn with me to Luke chapter 18. And listen to the words in a parable that Jesus teaches about a man dealing with the sin of self-righteousness. In Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, again, the Pharisees are there. The religious people are there. And it says in verse 9, Jesus says, he also told them, told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Those are some heavy words, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I know I've tried to justify myself before the Lord. Because before Christ comes into our life, we're good at that. We're professionals. You see, the Pharisees were great at this. And Jesus rebukes them different times and says, hey, all you're doing with these acts and what you're trying to do, it's like a bowl that's filthy on the inside and the outside or a cup that's just full of junk on the inside and outside. And he says, you Pharisees, all you're doing is you're cleaning the outside, yet the inside is just filled with rottenness and death and just this sick stuff inside. And he's like, you need to clean the inside. The heart needs to be addressed because if the heart is addressed, then the outside acts that we live by will be following after the heart. Remember Jesus said that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Well, the Pharisees believed that if they followed certain rituals of the law and I know we've looked at this in the past, but I remind you, if you, or if you don't know, the Pharisees added a lot of extra things to the law. And they tried to abide by all these things so that when people would watch them, the outside of their heart, the cup on the outside looked clean. And all the things that they did to try to keep the law 
between the, their, their, their mind was that they were justifying themselves before God, that God sees me rightly. But Jesus also teaches them throughout the Gospels that they neglect the weightier things of God's law. They take the small things and draw attention to that and they ignore things like justice. They ignore things like the love of God. In Luke chapter 11, where we were a while back, Jesus says in verse 42, But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting others. You see, the Pharisees were so great that we're going to pay attention to the little things. They go into their herb garden and they cut out all these things here and they take them to the temple to sacrifice. And he's like, yeah, you do that, but you don't do the rest of what the law calls you to do, to show justice and to, to love others. Next week, the parable we look at as we see this uh, teaching about heaven and hell is a rich man and he's rebuked because he never met the needs of Lazarus who was suffering in poverty. Again, all of these teachings in context of what we see in chapter 15 and chapter 16 is Jesus is not only teaching his disciples... He's not only teaching the people gathering to him, but he's trying to teach those who are religious, who have a hard heart towards the things of God. And anything and everything that you try to do to justify yourself and your heart before God, just like the Pharisees trying to keep the law of God, leads to failure and leads to death. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Galatia and he deals with the law and he deals with justification and he deals with faith. And here's what he says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified, again, being made right before God by the works of the law, but through what? Faith. In who? Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So again, justified or this justification is to be declared righteous before God, is to be in a right relationship or a right place before God, that God sees you as forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ, that he sees the righteousness of Christ, his son, because you've been clothed with that. That's the picture of the person who's been justified, been made right before God. And the Apostle Paul states here, look at it here in Galatians, too, that be, to be made right before God comes only by what? What's it say? Faith in who? Christ Jesus. Now, in church, Christian churches, we sometimes simply throw out real easily the term faith in Jesus Christ. But what does it really mean? Some would say, well, faith in Jesus Christ means believing in Jesus. There are a lot of people in this world who believe that Jesus walked and lived this earth. Does that justify them? No. Does just believing that Jesus Christ lived and walked this earth, is that true faith? No. Faith is believing in not just Jesus Christ, but believing in Jesus Christ's work. 
what he did when he went to the cross. It's a word that we call the atonement. Turn to, uh, turn to 1 Peter. We'll read a passage here that helps us understand this. To be justified before God, to be made right before God, you have to have faith in Christ Jesus. And it's not just believing in the person of Christ, it's, but it's believing what we see here. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, speaking of what Christ did. It says, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. When we read what the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth, he talks about, here is what I taught you, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. This is what we believe in, that Jesus Christ was nailed to a cross. And when he was nailed there on the cross, 2 Corinthians 5 said that he became sin, our sins, which we committed And so God the Father, when he saw his son hanging on the cross, who was made sin, who knew no sin, God the Father was pleased, according to Isaiah, to crush his son, to pour out his wrath on his son, to punish his son, what was meant for you, what was meant for me. Therefore, when Jesus Christ shed his blood, our sins are not only covered over, but they're removed So when we talk about the atonement of Christ, if you go back to the Old Testament and they sacrificed the lamb and the blood was poured out and it was placed as this sacrifice, it only covered over the sins of the nation of Israel for a year, for a period of time. And then they had to do it again. But at the cross, the sacrifice of Christ, the atonement of Christ, it's there that the final sacrifice was made for sin, not to just be covered over, but to be removed from all of God's people for eternity. So faith in Christ is faith in the work of Christ, that Jesus Christ is God, and not just the death and the shedding of his blood to remove our sins, but faith in the resurrection. You must believe that Jesus Christ died physically. He was placed in a tomb. And on the third day, what happened? He rose again. And he's ascended to heaven. He's promised to return. He's ruling now. But that's what faith in Christ is. And faith alone in Christ is what justifies us. Not just belief that Jesus Christ walked this earth Let's go back to our text here in Luke. Jesus continues with this challenge of them as they examine their hearts and not to try to justify themselves. And he teaches them and challenges them to have a greater understanding or a right understanding of the law and the gospel or the law and the kingdom of God because their view and their understanding was backwards and wrong. And this is what Jesus addresses them in Luke chapter 16, verse 16. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces their way, forces his way into it. Now, as you think of the law and the prophets... You may think just of the Old Testament and that it ended with Malachi. 
Jesus makes it clear that the last Old Testament prophet was John the Baptist, who we saw at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. When you look at Matthew and when you look at Mark, there is this address of John the Baptist. And so he was the last of the Old Testament prophets. And when we speak of the law, we speak of the Old Testament. Yes, the five first books of the Bible, but the law contained in that and in the Old Testament John the Baptist came and called people to repent of their sins and prepare the way for Jesus. And in Mark chapter 1, verse 14 through 15, it says, Now after John, John the Baptist, was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The Pharisees, again, knew the law of God well, memorized. They knew the prophecies of the Messiah to come, yet their hearts were so hard that they missed Jesus fulfilling every single one of the prophecies. At the end of uh, the book of Luke, In Luke chapter 24, Jesus has already risen from death to life and he's walking with some disciples on this road. They don't even know it's Jesus. And he begins to tell them, basically to explain to them what they were totally not understanding of what happened when Christ died. And it says in Luke chapter 24, then he said to them, verse 44, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus came to earth to do the work that the Father had sent him, which is the work of the cross and the resurrection. But also he came to fulfill the law. No one can keep the law. If you read through the law and you tell me that you could keep every one of those, I would say, you are a liar. You are crazy. Even though you might say, no, I could. But this is what the Pharisees argued. They argued that they kept the law by these external rituals and these things that they did. When it says in Luke chapter 16, Jesus says the good news of the kingdom of God. He's speaking of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's speaking of that this aspect of this new covenant, which the Pharisees would not have understood uh, that the Old Testament, the old covenant that would have been what they held to this new, this good news of the kingdom of God is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the kingdom of God is God's rule over the hearts of his people. The kingdom of God is God's rule over the lives of his people. God's kingdom is his rule one day over a new creation, a new heaven a new earth. And the Pharisees were ones that could not accept the good news of the kingdom of God. And they completely missed the Messiah that was prophesied, Jesus, who was with them. The one that they attacked, the one that they listened to, the one that they questioned and tested, the one that they ultimately nailed to a cross. They missed the good news of the kingdom of God. But there are those who haven't missed it and those who didn't miss it. And Jesus says this in verse 16, and everyone forces his way into it. 
You might say, what do you mean here? No one, you just told me, no one can get into the kingdom of God. They can't force himself in the way, the kingdom of God by good works. So what is being described here? It's a picture of God's people and their life, holy living. Jesus is describing the life of the disciples, the followers of him. If you read through the gospels and go back at the beginning of Luke, we've been seeing chapter by chapter, more people wanting to be with Jesus. From being in a small home and crowding in around him to the point of gathering in huge amounts of people in the countryside. People were pressing in. They were pushing into the kingdom. They were seeking Jesus Christ. I remember a while back we looked at the, the, uh, in Luke where Jesus is on his way to go help a man because his daughter is dying. And there's a huge crowd. And there's a woman who gets through the crowd and she touches his cloak and she's healed. And Jesus stops and says, who touched me? And the one of the disciples said, what do you mean, Jesus? Everyone's pressing in. Everyone's crushing in. They're trying to get near you. What do you mean who touched you? And it's this picture of the people of God doing whatever it takes to live and walk in holiness by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the thing that marks that is obedience to God, obedience to his word. And so when you think of holy living, you may think of things like this, repenting of your sins. Are we pressing into the kingdom of God by repenting of our sins You may think of holy living as prayer. Are we pressing into the kingdom of God, forcing ourselves into the kingdom of God in that sense of talking with God, praying and calling out to the thing, praying for the things that he calls us to pray for? What about the holy living in the aspect of the word of God? Are we pressing into the kingdom by reading the word of God and letting it sink into our hearts? Listening to the preaching of the word of God, gathering with others for the teaching of the word of God. It also means holy living also has an aspect of fellowship together. What we're doing as we gather here for the preaching of the word and the glorifying of God's name through the singing of praises is there's fellowship among the body of Christ. You need fellowship, not just Sunday morning fellowship. You need fellowship with other believers throughout the week because it's the other believers as they remind you of scripture, as they pray for you, as they encourage you. You need that. And yet, what have we dealt with for the last year? Separation. So press into the kingdom of God. And I would read to you a text that we, I mentioned a few weeks ago, but I don't believe we read it. Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ to the churches, one of them being Laodicea. And he says this in verses 15 of chapter 3. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I enjoy drinking coffee and I enjoy drinking hot coffee. Occasionally I've had a cold coffee drinks. I just don't like the cold coffee drinks unless they're filled with tons of sugar and caramel and chocolate and all that stuff. Then it's really kind of smoothie. It's not even a coffee drink anymore. But I like hot coffee. 
But have you ever taken the cup of coffee, if you like hot coffee, or let's say hot tea or hot cocoa or whatever, and you want it steaming when you've been outside in the 16 degree weather, and you come in and you lift up the cup and all of a sudden it's like room temperature, you spit it out. Some of you say, oh no, that's coffee. No, it's horrible coffee at that point. And I don't even think it's good to even heat it back in the microwave. It's like, just start a new pot. But when you think of holy living, what God calls us to do is he says, I want you to be hot for the kingdom of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, holy living, or I want you to be cold and not even a part of it. And he says, don't be in the middle. Don't be in this side and don't be in this side and try to fool yourself that you're walking in holiness. He says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And boy, those words there in Revelation 3 are a fearful thing. If we think of what Jesus is saying there, we cannot be lukewarm followers of Jesus Christ. And yet at the same time, if you're a follower of Christ, you struggle with sin. You've not been glorified. Sin has not been removed. And so what happens when we do sin, we get so convicted at times and so down that our zeal, our passion, our joy of holy living gets put underneath a rock because we're so down on ourselves, and we forget the forgiveness of Christ and we forget that we're supposed to repent of our sins and call out and to know the love of Christ and all we are doing is wallowing in our sinfulness and we forget our righteousness and the work of Christ. I don't know, maybe you're going through one of those points of there's no zeal right now. Maybe today you need to pray, Holy Spirit, give me a passion for your word. Give me a zeal for holy living. Holy Spirit, fill me up. There's nothing that you can do to try to conjure this up. You can't sit down enough times the week. Go, I'm going to read this reading plan here. Reading plans are good. I do them. But it's the work of God, the Holy Spirit, through his word to help us live and walk in holiness. Look at verse 17 here in Luke 16. Jesus makes a huge statement about the word of God. He says, but it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. We believe, I believe that the word of God is Fully God's word. It's inspired. Every single word in the Bible is God's word that he gave to his people to write down by the power of the Holy Spirit. So even when we read about a conversation going on between people in the word of God, it was ordained. It was inspired by the Holy Spirit to be written down. But Jesus goes even beyond that. He's like, for heaven and earth, it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot, one comma, period, exclamation mark, whatever type of accent mark to pass away. It says it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. That should sink into your hearts today of how great and how important the word of God is for your life, for holy living I want us to be reminded of this, though, as we look in verse 16. The law and the prophets were until John, since the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it. And we looked already in that justification is not by any of our works done. And the Pharisees are dealing with this problem. 
The misunderstanding of them is their misunderstanding of the law in one sense. That they could take bits and pieces and follow that and that would justify them. But the Old Testament, the law and the prophets are of great importance for you and I. And Jesus is saying they should not become void. And I believe too many Christians today believe that the Old Testament is not for us today. Too many Christians think, yeah, the Old Testament's great history lesson, but we're under a new covenant. We don't need those things. Well, I like the prophets because at Christmas and Easter, we can remind ourselves of these wonderful things, but I don't know about the law. Why are we reminded of the, of the, of the Ten Commandments? You know, that was then at that time, and I believe that's a wrong view of Scripture, that the Old Testament, all that it contains in it is for our benefit. Read Romans chapter 7 this week. Read Romans chapter 7. Write it down. Put it on your phone. Read Romans 7. I know some of you are staring at me. I'm serious. Read Romans 7. Because Romans 7 tells us that the law of God is a great, glorious benefit to our life. Because the law tells us that we are sinners. And the law teaches us when we break God's law and we sin. And the reason why we need it is because when we see our sin, we then see our great need for a Savior. You can plead with people all day long who are without Christ and tell them, you need Christ, you need Christ. Just believe in Jesus. I want you to go to heaven. And they're going to reject Christ because they see no need for Christ because they don't think that they're bad people or at the worst sinners. They need to hear about sin so that the Holy Spirit would stir their hearts to the truth, the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God, of Jesus, and that they would believe. So what Jesus does is we come to verse 18, the one that sometimes uh, many people don't want to address in church and it gets skipped over because how many of you would say that divorce is a touchy subject in churches? Anyone? Yeah, the first service they like loud and kind of chuckled about. It. I'm like, should we even do that? You know, and like, it's a, it's a, it's a serious thing. So what what Jesus does is he takes one thing, just one thing in the law that they would hold to and try to justify themselves, and says, "Hey, let's talk about divorce." All right, you're already mocking me about money. Well, now let's talk about this. And so in verse 18, we see this divorce and adultery, and up on the screen is a number of passages of scripture about divorce. We'll put those up a few times here. You need to go and read them because I'm not taking time this morning, other than. For us to simply look what is the plain scripture and the words of Christ tell us about divorce. You can read all of these things. I'll explain this here some, but you need to go and read this for yourself and have a greater understanding. The Pharisees twisted the law to justify themselves before God, which Jesus just broke down and said, no way, you can't do it. What they did is they took Deuteronomy chapter 24. And Moses, in the law, gave a certificate of divorce to Pharisees who were tired of looking at their wives in the mirror, who were upset that their wife broke a a, a bowl in the house, who got tired of whatever, and for any reason, they could divorce their wife. And what Deuteronomy 24 was really is, and we'll see, Jesus says, because they're hard hearts, but a protection for the women they were divorcing. That maybe that woman got 
married and, and uh, maybe her husband dies and it protected her from the husband coming back and taking her back as his wife and also taking the, the money that she had. For that. There's, a, there's a reason why it was there. And Jesus says, because because the Pharisees had hard hearts. Look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 31 and 32. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Those are some heavy words of Christ, isn't it? The reason why it's heavy for us and it's heavy for them is because divorce happens a lot in our world. And there's all kinds of stories. There's all kinds of things behind. There's all kinds of emotions. Families are, are torn apart. Um, churches that see divorce, there's grief. I mean, divorce affects a lot of people. Probably if I, if I, I'm not asking you, but if, you, if I ask you to raise your hand, if you've been uh, affected by divorce in some way, probably a lot of hands would come up in the room. <clears throat> well, the disciples, they were trying to always catch Jesus. You can read some of these texts where they're trying to trap him. It says they're trying to test him and they bring up divorce. Jesus doesn't bring it up. The Pharisees bring it up to them. In Mark 19 and Mark 10, or Matthew 19 and Mark 10 are two of those places. It says the Pharisees are testing him. They ask the question, is divorce lawful? And Jesus says, the reason why it was given is because you have a hard heart. But what he does in those texts, he doesn't really answer their question. What he does, he says, let me tell you the purpose of marriage. And he goes to the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, 27 and Genesis 2, 24, he says, God's plan for marriage was between a man and a woman. So side note, that does not mean marriage between a man and a man or a woman and a woman. I know that our world, our government supports homosexual marriage. The Word of God says that that's an abomination before the Lord. God's plan for marriage is between one man and one woman for their life. But sin happens, and hard hearts are there. And the certificate of divorce was allowed, and the Pharisees want to trap Jesus and say, Hey, is it lawful? And he says, God's plan. For marriage was this. Mark chapter 10 verses 9 through 12. We hear this at weddings. Where therefore God is joined together. Let no man separate. He said that to the disciples. And then that's I mean to the Pharisees. And then they go inside. And the disciples ask him about divorce. And he said to them. He's getting now he's not telling the Pharisees. He says whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And she divorces her husband and marries another. She commits adultery. So the truth from God's word and Jesus is that about divorce puts many Christians in a problem situation because there are not many exceptions for divorce within marriage. It's very clear from Jesus's words. So not Pastor Paul, not Discovery Alliance Church. The Christian Missionary Alliance has an excellent statement from Scripture about divorce. It's not we're not quoting any of them. We're looking at Jesus's words. Look at verse 18 of Luke 16. 
Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Sexual infidelity while engaged or after marriage is breaking God's law. You're going to say, wait, you just said engaged. Yeah. So think about Joseph and Mary. They were married or they were engaged. Remember, we saw that in Luke chapter one. We saw or chapter two. We saw that in Matthew and they were engaged. Joseph finds out she's pregnant. He wants to divorce her. So even that is not a reason. Jesus says sexual infidelity while engaged or after marriage. We'll just stick the words here. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Read those passages of the scriptures that were up there. God's plan for marriage is between a man and a woman for life. But here's the hard part. I was asked even this last week by a person who said, I've been divorced. I'm thinking of getting remarried. What should I do? And there's always stories behind everything. Is a person Christian or not or whatever these types of things. You know, um, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees here in this text. In the other text, he's speaking to his disciples. But he just makes it very clear what his plan is for marriage. I remind you to go back to verse 16 where we were at a few minutes ago in Luke 16. It says, but God knows your hearts. We could take divorce. We could take the money issue of greed, as we saw last week, and lack of stewardship. We could take whatever sin under the sun that you could come up with. Where is your heart between you and the Lord God Almighty? Because he already knows your heart. What are you trying to do to make yourself justified before him? What excuses are you using? How are you trying to twist scripture? I know that others have asked, well, you know, let's go back to the divorce thing and let's talk about here's some other exceptions. Now, let me tell you this scenario. And I'm like, wow, that's a crazy scenario. And I think sometimes people are asking a pastor to say, hey, then you can justify my divorce. Right. I'm like, I can't justify anything. Only the Lord God Almighty. And so I can only point you to scripture and God knows your heart and I can pray for you and I can come alongside of you. I can counsel as best the Holy Spirit would allow me to do that. But it comes down to you and your heart. And Jesus said in verse 15, but God knows your heart. Does God see your heart today as an abomination before him? He's trying to justify anything and everything that we do wrong in breaking his law. Or does he see a follower of his kingdom who's pressing in, not perfectly, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, walking in holy living? Again, we started with this statement. The self-righteous heart twists the law of God to fit a sinful life, which is an abomination before God. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of one of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You go, wait, we're just he's just rebuking them for their words. Here's the thing. Go back to what Jesus said in the text here in Luke. They're trying to justify themselves. They can't. You try to justify yourself by any good thing. You can't. 
The only righteousness that exceeds that is a righteousness that is given to you. And it's given to you when you come to faith in Christ. And remember Galatians where we were at a few weeks ago and how God adopts his people to himself as his own children. And he sees his, his children with clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And he has a great inheritance for his children. And he has blessings today and in the future for his children. Because he loves them and he gives them that righteousness. So you cannot... Man, am I clear? You can't get righteousness for yourself. You can't. It's only by faith in Christ can you be justified and by giving the righteousness of Christ. And I'll tell you this. As a follower of Christ myself, there are times when I buy into the lie that the religious leaders believe that I'm doing this today because God's going to love me more. I'm doing this because he's going to give me more righteousness. And it is so wrong thinking. And it so distracts from walking and holy living. And it fails me every time. So don't follow what I do. Follow the word of God. And seek God and press into his kingdom Romans 10, 3 through 4, again, just the reminders are bringing this close. The Apostle Paul was a Pharisee. He was a guy who, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was like a leader of Pharisees. He knew the law in and out. He knew the prophecies. He had it all memorized. And he was praying after God stopped him one day. And God made him righteous. And God justified him that day. From that point on, he began to pray for his brothers. His Jewish brothers who were Pharisees that used to be like he was. And it says in Romans 10, 3 through 4, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Are you praying for others who are ignorant of the righteousness of God? Are you here today and you are ignorant of the righteousness of God. If you're ignorant or ignorant of the righteousness of God, you need to call out. You need to ask the Lord to forgive you of trying to gain his approval by any good thing. And accept the work that Christ did on the cross to remove your sins, to make you his own and believe in that he rose from death to life. As the worship team comes forward, I want to read one last passage in Philippians chapter 3. It's in Philippians chapter 3. Maybe some of you this morning who are followers of Christ need to pray and ask the Lord to give you a zeal and a passion and a desire for walking in holiness. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. Maybe you've been troubled by things in this world. Sin you've been battling with. Maybe it's things that are just going wrong. And you don't feel like you want to read the word of God. You don't want to pray. Again, you need to call out. Say, Holy Spirit, fill me up. Holy Spirit, give me the desire and zeal for your word. Holy Spirit, cause me to walk in holiness. Philippians chapter 3. Verse 7, Apostle Paul says, But whatever gain I had, 
I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And those are the words of God. Father, we desire to be people who walk in holiness. And we need today to be reminded of the righteousness of Christ in us. And Father, for any who have been ignorant of the righteousness of God, would you help them put down their checklist of good works? Would you help them put that writing tablet down that's recorded everything they've ever done, great or moral or good? And would they be moved by your spirit to believe in the work of Jesus Christ and to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and that you would justify them, that you would save them, that you would adopt them, that you would make them your own. And Father, I pray for all of us who are following you We need your strength, we need your power, we need your guidance, and we need to be reminded of the love that you have for us. So Holy Spirit, fill us up. Holy Spirit, work upon our hearts. And Holy Spirit, help us to walk in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen.